All right, good evening. Good to see you guys back this evening. I know it's rainy. I know it's, uh, it's, just, it's nap weather is what it is, and I'm going to do my best to keep you guys awake tonight, um, especially Brandon and Austin. They, this, this makes like sermon 16 or 17 for them in the, in the past week, so we're going to do my best to keep them awake and keep you guys awake. But I think we've got a passage that will do that. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to First Timothy chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 11. And I told you last week, when we, a couple of weeks when we started this, that I always study these books for a reason. And I think that we study First Timothy because it's one of the most neglected books in, in the church. I think that the church has neglected not only First Timothy, but all the pastoral epistles, First, Second Timothy, and, uh, and Titus. And I think that we've, we're, we're seeing the circle, the, how that works itself out. We, we're let, we've let the culture define what the church is instead of, let, instead of letting the Bible define what the church is, and we're seeing the, the consequences to where now the church is um, unrecognizable as you look at the church in our world today compared to what the church in the Bible looks like. So we want to come back to what the Bible says the church should be. What the church is, we want to let the Bible define God's church, we want to let the Bible describe God's church, and we want to let the Bible correct God's church or to reform God's church. I love what Martin Luther said as, as he was going through the Reformation in the 1500s. He said, I didn't reform the church. It wasn't me. Don't, he, was, he was saying, don't brag on me. Don't, don't point the finger at me. I didn't reform the church. God's word reformed the church. 
So we need to let the God's word reform the church. And that's what Paul does here in 1 Timothy. As he's writing this letter, he starts out with something he needs to correct, something he needs to reform, something he needs to make right. And I believe they were getting the gospel wrong. And that's the most important thing for the church. If we don't get the gospel right, we have nothing at all. If we don't get the gospel right, people won't be saved. If we don't get the gospel right, God's people won't be godly. So we need to get the gospel right, and, and that's what he's going to do here today. I want to show you tonight the most serious error in the church, because this is why Paul corrects it. It's not a minor area, error. It's not, uh, uh, it's secondary. It's primary. So we're going to correct that tonight, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. So let's stand together. I want to read, um, I'm going to start in verse 3, and I'll read through verse 11. We've already preached verses 3 through 7, but I, you guys know me. I like to get a running start with you guys so you can see where we've come from. Starting in verse 3, it says, And I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than the godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart, of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, having turned aside unto vain jangling. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof what they affirm. But we know that, and here's, here's where we'll start tonight. We know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for the murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stillers, for liars, for perjured persons. This is an interesting list. I can't wait to teach it. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is what was committed unto my trust. It's a great passage here correcting the most serious error in the church. And we need to make sure that we don't fall into this error. And we say, Josh, we'll never do that. Well, I think Paul would have said that in, in Ephesians or in the church at Ephesus in Acts when he left. And he said, I want you to be careful. And it was four or five years later and they'd fall into this error. We can easily, if, they can, if Ephesus can fall into this, we can fall into this. So we need constant warnings that we don't fall for the most serious error in the church. So let's take this as a warning tonight. Let's pray together and we'll study it. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather tonight. And God, I thank you for your word. If I had to stand up here on my own with my own thoughts and my own opinions and something I'd come up with in my office, um, something out of my own imagination, um, we'd have nothing here. It'd be a waste of our time. But God, I'm confident that, that your word is valuable and is sufficient and is authoritative. And it's exactly what we need to hear tonight. You know who, you knew who was going to be here. You knew what was going to be preached. And you know exactly what we need. So I pray, God, that you teach us these things tonight. There's a lot here that we need to cover and a lot that we need to correct. And I pray that you never let our church fall into this error of uh, misunderstanding or being drawn away from the sim simplicity of the gospel. So teach us these things tonight, and we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. If you look at it and say, what's the most serious errors of the church today? And I know you, you guys may not think about it, but it happens to me a lot that when you, when you look at the church and say, where are we getting it wrong? What are we doing that we shouldn't be doing? Or what are we not doing that we ought to be doing? Uh, what are the, the, the number one error of the church? And I'm not talking top five. I'm not talking top ten. I'm, I'm talking what is the, the most serious error in the church today? And, and not this, just this church, but churches all around. What are we getting wrong? 
What are we messing up on? Where, where have we erred away from the Bible? And, and I get a lot of answers from people. It's amazing how people love to tell me uh, where, where the church is getting things wrong. I'll get text messages. I'll get calls. I'll get people just, just walking through Food City who wants to stop me and say, you know, the church ain't doing this and the church ain't doing that and the church needs to be corrected here. And, and, and I hear all these things and people say things like, just give you a, a few things. They'll tell me, I don't think the church is loving enough. I think that the church isn't accepting enough. I think the church has kind of blocked itself off and shut its doors and we've turned away from the world and we're not reaching them and we need to tone down our message and we may need to make the world like us just a little bit more. And so they tell me we need to be more loving. Is that a major error in the church today? I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you think so. I've heard that the church is being too political. We're focused too much on the the American politics of our day. And that could be on the, the one side where it's the Democrats or we're focused on the one side where it's the Republicans. Maybe the church is, 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 is too political or not even political enough. I hear also, and, and maybe it's true, that the church is too focused on social justice issues and not enough on the gospel. They were focused on critical race theory and intersectionality and all the things that, uh, that the church has become a social justice warrior instead of the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that may be true. But there's one thing out of all those things that stood out to Paul. The one thing that he had to correct first in 1 Timothy above everything else. I mean, he's, he's hitting it at the outset. He, he had the introduction and he said greetings and all these things that he said there. And then he jumps right into correcting this one thing. So the one thing, the priority is this one thing. So whatever this is, is the most serious error in the church to Paul. And it's not just here, but he had to correct it in Acts. Acts 15, he had to correct the same thing. And in, and in Galatians, he had the whole letter was correcting this, this one thing. And that's what he's doing here. It's a, a very subtle, a very serious, and I believe a very dangerous error in the church. They were misunderstanding the law. And misunderstanding the law, and I, I, I don't think, I think it's more than that, because you're sitting there saying, what did he do, Paul? What's wrong with that? That's no big deal. I mean, he talked about these other things earlier on, about the strange things that they were teaching the wrong doctrines and fables and endless genealogies. That's silly, Paul. And then, then he went into vain jangling. I mean, that's, that, sound, that even sounds silly. And then it, but Paul takes these things very serious. He says, this is, this is serious stuff, and we need to pay attention to it. I think these are things that not only were they getting wrong, but I think the ch churches all over America are getting this wrong. In misunderstanding and misapplying the, the law, we are missing out on the gospel. And that's what he's going to get into here tonight. He wants to show us that. He wants us to see that. He thinks, Paul says here that, that misunderstanding the law may shipwreck Christians and may destroy churches. And he even calls it in chapter 4 the, the seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils. So Paul thinks this is a very serious issue. A misunderstanding of the law of God. And we need to get this right. And he wants to correct it because he thinks, and, and you'll see this here, that it takes the attention away from the gospel. And anything that takes our attention away from the gospel is a very serious issue. It, whatever it is, whether, whether it's a social justice issue, and I think that's true, and it's pulling the church's attention away from the gospel. And anything that, that swerves us away from the gospel is something that's very dangerous to the church. Whether it be political, uh, political issues and it's pulling our attention away from the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a serious and it's a dangerous issue. And we need to get, get right back on focus and, and, and go to the simplicity of the gospel. So all those things that I mentioned before, they could pull our attention. But Paul says here, it's the law that's pulling their attention. 
the law that's striking at the heart of the gospel. If you get the law wrong, you get the gospel wrong. If you get the gospel wrong, nobody's going to get saved. Nobody's going to be godly. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to worship God like they ought to. The, the lost won't be saved. The saved won't be godly. You get everything wrong and you shipwreck the church. So we're going to have to correct the law so that we can have the right gospel. And that's what he's going to do here. I think he spends his whole ministry making sure that the church keeps its eye on the prize, which is Jesus Christ and preaching his gospel. So we're going to do that tonight. I want to show you that this isn't really a law issue. It's a, a gospel issue. And there's a lot of churches that get this wrong one way or the other. So let's fix it. Let's right the ship. Let's, let, let's correct this serious error. There's a lot of churches that get this wrong. There's a lot of Christians that get this wrong. They don't know how to understand the law of God. And in doing so, they miss the gospel. So I've got three points for you tonight. I'm just going to work our way through this passage starting in verse 8. And I want to correct the most serious error in the church. And the first thing I want to do in verse 8, and this is fundamental. I mean, why else is Paul starting with this here if it's not a fundamental issue? If you don't correct this, everything else after it is of no importance. We've got to get this right first. This is foundational before we can talk about the qualifications of pastors and before we can talk about deacons and the, the role of women in church and all these other little issues. We've got to get this right. You've got to get the gospel right, the message right, before you can get anything else right. So let's start here. Let's, let's get this right. And, and I'm gonna, we're going to preach the gospel to you tonight. I think this is how the church ought to preach the gospel. I think this is how we ought to preach the gospel. So here we go. Starting in number one, verse eight, I want to show you that the law is good. There's a lot of people today that are lawless Christians that think the law is of no importance to us at all today. But Paul says, we know this, Timothy. We got this. I taught you this. You know it. It's almost like he, me when I correct my kids and I look at them and say, you knew that. How'd you get that wrong? I told you this a hundred times. And, and Paul's telling Timothy, we know this. Don't mess this up. And then he says, the law is good. Or in the, in the Greek, he would say, good is the law. I don't know how that makes it any different, but I like it. The law is good. And he's talking about the moral law, the, the law that, that God came down. We talked about it this morning. And, and he wrote on tablets the moral law. Here's what he expects. Here's what he demands. Here's how we ought to live. Here's, here's righteousness. Here, here's, here's the plumb line. Here's how you can tell if you're right with God or not. Here's what God expects out of all of us. And he came down and he wrote it on tablets with his own finger. The moral law of God. And he says it's good. I'm not going to go into you, but he uses the word good here 14 times in 1 Timothy. The word actually means it's beautiful. It's excellent. I could, I could, he uses it in, in 118. I ain't going to use all, all 14. I got them all down here. It's excellent. It's beautiful. The opposite would be it's not a bad thing. It's not evil. There's nothing wrong with it. It was given by God, and God doesn't give anything that's bad. So the law is a, a, is a good thing. So what he's starting out there with is we don't just toss it out and we don't say it's of no use and we don't say, oh, we're going to be lawless as Christians. He's saying the, the law is a, a good thing. We don't become lawless. Amen. There's a lot of lawless Christians and churches out there who say the law is of no good to us today. But Paul says the law is good. But I like this. He says if. So he's saying it, it does, it's not always good. What's this? Verse 8 again. We know that the law is good if. 
a man uses it lawfully. If it's used right. If it's handled correctly. If it's handled properly. If it's rightly understood. If it's rightly applied. And if it's rightly used. We know how this works. Medicine is good. We know that. I love that medicine, when I have a headache, I love that ibuprofen takes it away. A couple of ibuprofen and I'm feeling a whole lot better. I love medicine. I love that when... When my kids get sick, I can take them to the doctor and medicine is good. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a, a gift from God that he allows us to have medicine today. That's a good thing. If it's used correctly, you can take medicine and, 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 and you could use it in a bad way. And people do that all the time. I can give you all kinds of illustrations of this. Church is a good thing. We know that. You love it. Christ loves his church. It's good to be here tonight. Church is a, a good thing. If it's done the way God wants it done. So medicine can be twisted into a bad thing. And and church can be twisted into a a bad thing. And preaching is a good thing. I love preaching. I love listening to preaching. I love preaching myself. I love studying preaching. Preaching is, is my life. That's what I do. But I've heard a lot of bad preaching in my life. Preaching is a good thing as long as it's done the right way, as long as it's handled properly, and as long as it's handled correctly. And that's what he's saying. The law is good as long as it's handled in the right way. And so it shows us that they were handling it wrong. They were doing something wrong here. It was misunderstood. It was being wrongly applied and wrongly used and wrong, and, and not handled correctly at all. So they were using it wrong. Watch this. Look at verse 7. They were desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor what they affirm. They had no idea what they were even saying. So they had the law, which is good, but they were handling it wrong. So you, you see that there. And, and the law can be. And you need to, we need to get this. Can be handled wrong today. We know they were. But in churches today, people are handling the wrong the law wrongly. The moral law, the Ten Commandments, they're handling it in a bad in a bad way. Most churches, I, I don't say most, many churches and and many preachers get this wrong. They talk about the law and they have no idea what they're talking about or what they believe on the law. And when they do this, they're they're striking at the heart of the gospel. You say, well, how can they get it wrong today? Because it's so subtle and it's so serious and it's so dangerous. How do we get it wrong today? And I'm going to give you two ways that we get the law wrong today. And this is just a a sidebar because uh, Theodore Beza said this, an old theologian. He said that ignorance of the law and gospel is one of the primary sources of all the abuses which corrupt Christianity today. And I believe that. It's one of the most dangerous things in the church today, people that don't understand the law and the gospel. So I'm going to give you two ways that it's misunderstood, misapplied, misused in the church today. Number one, and, and, and you need to watch for this and make sure that I don't do this and make sure that the preachers that you listen to don't do this. One way that we do it is through legalism where we think that we can do it, do enough or obey enough laws in order to be right with God. That's That's... Not the right way to use the law. Nobody can do that. And, and you hear that all the time. That there's, it's, it's, it's moralism. Uh, moralism. Obey it for salvation. Or you're, you've got to keep the law in order to keep your salvation. It's legalism. And, and, and it does no good. It's the wrong way to do it. So it's on one side, legalism. Keep the law to be saved. Keep the law to, to stay saved. 
And you see that all the time, a lot of times in the older churches, that you've got to keep these rules in order to be right with God. I think they were doing this in, in, in Ephesus. Chapter 4 says that they were telling them they couldn't eat meats and they couldn't get married. They were adding to the law in order for them to be saved. Paul talked about the Galatians, circumcision in order to be saved. You say, well, that's not the case that's happening in our, our church. We in, in America, we don't do that. We're not too hard. It's almost like Goldilocks. That's, that poor just... Too hot, and that's too cold, but this one is just right. So you have on one side that's too hard, and, and they, they, make, they make obeying the law a necessity for salvation, and, and that's wrong. Amen. Moralism. It's like the seatbelt in my car. <laughs> I don't know why I say that. You get in a car, and, and, and you don't put your seatbelt on. And I get so annoyed at that thing beeping at me, wanting to get my seatbelt on. It's like it knows more than I do about what I ought to be doing. And I'm talking to the beeping thing in my car. I'm smarter than you. You're just a car. I don't want, I'm going to put my seat on and seatbelt on in just a minute. <laughs> I'm jumping on my car. You go into some churches and they're so strict on the law that they're just finger pointing all the time, beeping at you saying you're doing this wrong and you're doing this wrong and you've got to do this to be in this church. You've got to do this to be saved. You've got to do this to have assurance of salvation and it's do, 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 do. Amen. It's wrong. You don't do that. Amen. I'll give you the other one. Again, we're looking at the porridge. On one side it's too hot and on the other side it's too cold because you can swing the balance and say we're not like that. We'll be, see this side over here is lawful. This side over here is lawless. We'll just do whatever we want to do. We're not under the law, but we're under grace. And we can live however we want to live. And do whatever we want to do. And the more, the more we sin, the more grace God shows, and the greater He looks. That's nonsense. That's lawless. But there's a lot of churches, and especially in our culture today, that's falling for that. They've tried to correct the legalism, and they've went to what theologians call antinomianism, anti-law, against the law, that we're going to live without the law. Both of those are wrong. Amen. And Paul's going to correct that here. Either side of these will strike at the heart of the gospel. You're either living a lawless life and it's striking at the, at the grace of God and His gospel, or you're adding to it and, and wanting to do things to be saved and it's striking at the gospel. So Paul corrects it and he's going to say, we've got to get this right. We've got to get the balance right where we know how to apply the law of God. So here we go. You guys need to, to buckle up for this because the law is good, number one, because the law shows us our guilt, number two. He's going to show us how to use the law, the right way, the, the balance, uh, the, the Goldilocks, just right. I've not read that story in years. I might not be getting it right. We'll get the law right, but watch this. So now he says, we know the law is good if it's used lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. So he starts out there, it's what it's not used for. And then he'll say who it is used for. So watch this. It's not made for the righteous man. This, this is, some say this means that it's not made for saved people because saved people are righteous. I, I, that, that'd be fine if you want to go with that. I say that the law isn't for the self-righteous. People who think they don't, that they're too good for it. People who think they've kept it. Luke 5.31, Jesus said, They that are whole need not a physician, but those that are sick. Hospitals aren't for the healthy Hospitals are for the sick. That's what he's saying here. 
The law does no good if you think you're perfect. The law does, does no good if you're a Pharisee or, or, or you think you're, you're righteous. The law won't do you any good if you think you're good. That's what he's saying there. It's not for the, the righteous. Well, get this. There's no one righteous, no, not one. So what this is saying here is if you think you're righteous, if you think you're perfect, if you think you've done no wrong, then the law ain't going to do you no good. The law isn't for the righteous. The law is for sinners. You and me. That's us. We just need to see it. And that's what the law does. Watch what he says. The law is for. Knowing this, that the law is not for the righteous man. And there's none righteous. No, not one. So that means that the law is for everybody. But for, and this is my favorite part. And he gives one of Paul's famous lists. And he goes down and he gives us ten different sins. And each one of them coincides with the Ten Commandments. Watch this. Let's just go down through here. Knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient. That's thou shalt not have no other gods before me. And then he goes on and says, for the ungodly and for the sinners. That's number two. Commandment number two, no idols. Commandment number three. And you guys are saying, okay, Josh, you're, you're grasping at straws here. I really don't see that, but, but, but pay attention. But for the lawless and disobedient. And then he says, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and the profane. Those who don't keep the Lord's name and profane God's name. Or that don't keep the Lord's day and profane God's name. Those who tread on that which is holy and sacred. God's name and God's day. That's three and four. You say, ah, oh, Josh, you're still grasping at straws. How about number five, which is honor your mother and father. You with me? And then he says, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. Now he's just taking it a little bit further and you're saying, it really dishonors your mom and dad if you murder them. I mean, I, that's, that's the most dishonorable thing you can do. So that's what he's saying here. He's taking it and saying, the law is there to show you your sin. That you uh, have other gods. That you've created idols. That you've taken the Lord's name in vain. That you have not honored His day. And that you've not honored your mother and father. Let's keep going. Number six, murder. Look at the end of verse nine. Manslayers. That's a murderer. Somebody who slays men. Keep on going. Verse 10. What's the next one? Adultery. For whoremongers and for them that defile themselves with mankind. Whoremongers. You know what that is? It's the word pornos. The word where we get pornography. This would include adultery and sleeping around and shacking up. All those things that, that, that nowadays we say, oh, we don't have to pay, obey that law. You can do whatever you want to do. I'm under grace. I can sleep around and shack up and commit adultery. Oh, no, no, no. It shows us these things are sin. But he goes a little bit further. and Watch this. He says, not just for the whoremongers, but for them that defile themselves with mankind. You say, what's that? That's talking about for men who get in bed with men. Homosexuality. Homosexuality breaks one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's sin. That's what he says. And he goes on. We've got to keep going. I want to get through this list because then he goes from the thou shalt not commit adultery to what about stealing? Or, or yeah, with mankind. For men stealers. You say, what's a men, men stealer? 
Paul made up that word. It's not used anywhere else. It would be a word that we would say kidnapping. And what they would do is it wouldn't be kidnapping a child. It would be kidnapping someone and using them as a slave. It was okay to have a voluntary slavery where somebody would give themselves. I have no other means of, of taking care of myself. So I sell myself into slavery and you take care of me and I do whatever you ask me to do. That was voluntary. But if you went, you went and found you a kid and, and you stole that kid and then you took it to, the, to the, uh, the market and said, I'm selling this kid into slavery and the kid had no control over it at all, it'd be kidnapping and men stealing. He's talking about, about theft. Again, at the worst possible level. The worst possible way for you to dishonor your mom and dad, murder them. The worst way to commit adultery is whoremongering and homosexuality. He's just going to the, the nth degree here. I got another one for you. Not just stealing men, but liars and perjurers. You see that? For liars and for perjured persons. <laughs> I don't have time to get into it, but I found some interesting stuff on that. It took two people, two to three witnesses, to go before an official and say, this person did this, and they need to be punished for it. Do you know how dangerous that would be where two or three people could just come together and say, I don't like that guy, let's make up something about him. And they're like, yeah, you know, I don't like that guy either. Let's take him to court. Let's figure out what he did. And they go and they say, here, and they're going to lie, and they're going to perjure, and that person is going to end up in jail or even capital punishment. So he's talking about, again, lying, bearing false witness, perjuring. And I think that's the worst thing. That's what he's saying. Or going, going to the nth degree, the worst way of lying is to lie on somebody and get them killed. Wow. And he gives us the last one, which I think is kind of a catch-all. And if there be any other, any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. He just walked his way through the Ten Commandments. You didn't believe me at the outset. I, I, I showed you. He just walked his way right through them. And whatever else, the catch-all. Everything here, he gives us the Ten Commandments and says the law is, is not for those who think they're good. It's for those who do these things. You say, how's the law for them? I'm, I want to tell you. The law is for this type. The law is for these because the law takes people like that and exposes them to their sin. The law takes people like that and shows them that they're in sin and, and condemns them. I've got all kinds of words here. I, I just kept writing. All, the, all, all these things come to my mind today as I was writing the, the, these things down. The law exposes sin. The law shows sin. The law condemns sin. The law crushes the sinner. The law is like a... I, I wrote this down. The law is like a mighty hammer that smashes the self-righteousness of everybody who reads this list. I'm not righteous. I'm on that list. The law is, is for me. The law defines what sin is and, and shows us what God demands. And I've broken His law. The law convicts me and says, that's me. Who isn't stung by one of these on this list? The law shuts every one of our mouths. Amen. Yeah. Romans 3 says, so that mouths may be stopped. And all will become guilty before God. Amen. Charles Spurgeon said the law rips up. The law wounds. The law kills. No matter how good we think we are, every single one of us have broken one of these laws. All of us have. He said, I've never murdered my parents. But you just, you've dishonored them. Every single one of us have broken one of these laws. 
And James 2 says all it takes is one. How many did it take for Adam and Eve? All it took was one. One sin cast all of humanity into sin. And because of that one man's sin, all sin. One man, one sin, and we all sin. You say, that's not fair. I'm not Adam. I didn't decide to do that. Well, you've lived your life breaking God's law from the day that you understood what a sin was. Every single one of us. So the law condemns. The law convicts. The law crushes us like a mighty hammer. The law lets everybody see that I'm not perfect and I'm not good. That we're all broken and we're all lawbreakers and we're all guilty before God. And every single one of us is deserving of hell. That's what the law does. That's the purpose of the law. That's why the law is good. Because it shows us that we're all sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's what it shows us. Now let me ask you this. How how often do we hear that kind of preaching in churches? And that, that, that's what was missing in, in Timothy's church. He wasn't condemning. He wasn't confronting. He wasn't ripping them to shreds. That's what Paul Washer said before he got up to preach the other night. He said, I just got a text from my wife as I was walking up through here. She said, I love you. I'm praying for you. Slap them around a little. <laughs> I said, it sounds like something Steph would send me. How many churches do you hear that in? How many churches do you have the law being preached where it's bringing people to their knees and crushing them where they are? Are we talking about legalism where people think they can keep the law to be good enough, to be holy enough, to get into heaven and to be right with God? That doesn't crush anybody. Or the lawless where you don't even have to do anything. and It's all okay. We're all, we're all, we all mess up. And he says, no, the law isn't for that. The law is to bring you to your knees. The law is to convict you. The law is to show you your guilt. The law is to cut you down a notch. The law is to, to make you mourn and to, and to make you weep and to make you understand that, that I'm a sinner. That's what the law is for. And that's what you ought to be doing when you're sharing the gospel with people out in the community and with your family. And they're, oh, oh, we're all good. We're all okay. I'm a good old guy. Or I'm, I'm a good old person. Not according to the law, you're not. We've all broken it. Again, if we don't do that, we're striking at the heart of the gospel. A lot of churches today are preaching a lawless gospel. But there's not a whole lot of people being crushed by their sin. And convicted by their sin. I had somebody ask me one time, Josh, why do you have tissues in your church? That was before COVID. (laughs) They said, do you expect people to cry? Do you expect them to weep? Why do you have tissues lined up down your pews? Church should be a happy place. We should feel good when we go to church. Everybody should be uplifted. And I agree, it should be a great thing. But you can't be uplifted until you're brought down. And there should be weeping at churches. And there should be tears over our sins. And we should be broken and brought down. Because that's where you go before He lifts you up. The law cuts you down. Charles Hodge said this, one of the most blessed graces of God in all the world is conviction of sin. We've taken that out of churches today. And when we strike that out, we're striking at the heart of the gospel. Without sin, there's no need for a savior. If I don't understand how bad I am, I don't understand how good he is. If, if If I'm not broken to pieces, like 
Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> I'm going to all kinds of kids' stories tonight. Then I don't beg for Jesus to put me back together again. So you've got a lot of people sitting in churches that have never had the first step of the gospel of bringing them to their knees. I was talking to the guys on the way home yesterday. And all, there's four of us in my car. and Between us, nine, ten, eleven kids. <laughs> we left a lot of kids home. I think it was 18 total. Poor wives. We got home and all of our wives said, we're going next time. <laughs> we were talking on the way there and they are talking about how we deal with our kids when it comes to salvation. And mine was the only one that had made a profession of faith. Four out of my five kids have made a profession of faith. They said, Josh, how did you handle it? How did you, how did you determine whether God was working in their heart or not? And I said, I took her, Emma especially, I took her to the law. And I didn't take her to, I told them to the guys that, I said, I didn't take them to the first four. I, I don't think she, 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 she don't think she's got any other gods or any. She, if I, I told her an idol, she, she wouldn't know what an idol is. And she's in church every Sunday and she's never taken the Lord's name in vain. So that's not going to crush her. That's not going to bring her to, to, to her knees. And somebody listening right now saying, you want to bring your daughter to her knees? If she wants to get the gospel, she has to be brought to her knees. How can you get an eight-year-old, seven-year-old to be brought to her knees? I take her to number five and I say, have you honored your mother and father? That's it. That's, that's the one I circle. That's where she, and I did that. We went, we went down. I said, are you a sinner? She's like, oh, we all sin. Everybody sins. I said, that's right theologically, but we got to get to the point where you say, I'm a sinner and I've, I've disobeyed God and I deserve punishment. So I took her to number five and I said, okay, you've done all those. You're fine there. And she's not. All of us are idolaters. All of us put things before God. All of us have taken his name in vain. All of us. But I took her to number five. And I said, have you always, 100%, every single time, honored your mom and your dad? And she went from here to here. It brought her low. She was crushed. Tears came down her face. Tissue came out of daddy's pocket. You have to let them get there. And I didn't go straight to her and start hugging her and saying, oh, it's going to be okay. <laughs> we all sin, you sweet little thing. <laughs> You're daddy's little angel. And you comfort him and you say, it's okay, it's not that bad. And you start to say, oh, just, just forget I even brought it up. Because that's what the culture wants us to do today. Oh, forget it. Oh, oh don't bring up the law. Don't bring up sin. Don't, people say, don't tell people they're bad. Don't people tell people they deserve hell. Don't do that. So I could have easily wrapped him around my arms and I should have said, I could have said, oh, forget it, honey. God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. It's going to be okay. Everybody sins. It's just a little mess up. You want an ice cream? Because <laughs> I think that's what churches do today. They just want to coddle sinners. Oh, smile. Smile a while. Give your face a rest. It'll be okay. You're perfect as you are. Don't change a thing. That's what we do. We coddle sinners. We're living in a lawless age of the church and it's striking at the heart of the gospel. That's what Paul's saying here. Don't do that there. Don't lose the gospel. This is for idolaters. This is for, for people who profane the name of God and the, the day of God. And they, they tread on something holy. This is for people who dishonor their mother and father, who commit adultery, who murder, who steal, who lie. That's what the gospel's made for. 
So I look at Emma and I'm not, I'm not coddling her. I'm not justifying it all. Yeah, your mom was wrong. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> there's nothing wrong with mom's law. Back to what he's saying here. God's law ain't wrong. You're wrong. God's law is good. You're bad. I didn't look at her and say, oh, we'll excuse it. We'll ignore it. I let it bring her to her knees. Yes, honey, you've broken that law. And yes, honey, you deserve hell. And I let that linger. I let that see it. Because you've got to let it see it for a second. And that's exactly where we need to get. And every one of us had to get before we ever got saved. You had to get worn down. You had to get humbled. You had to get hopeless. You had to be Humpty Dumpty who fell off that wall and looked around and said, nobody can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Where can I find hope? And that's when you turn to the gospel. I love that. And you say, where do you find that in here? Watch this. Verse 11. And now according to the glorious... Anybody reading with me? Third point. We go from the law is good to the law shows us our guilt to number three, the law brings us to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the way to share the gospel. That's the message of the church of Jesus Christ. That's how we go out and talk to our parents who are lost and our friends who are lost. This is the gospel. You've got to show them God's law and how they've broken it and it has to break them. And then you bring them to the gospel and you bring Emma up and you say, Honey, there's a way out. Honey, there's good news. Honey, there's a Savior who can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And His name is Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. He says, according to the gospel. And here's the good news. Here comes salvation. Here comes hope. Here comes forgiveness. Here comes the picking up. It's not because of who you are or what you did. It's because of what He did and who He is. And that's hope and that's salvation. That's the gospel. I love that. According to the glorious good news. The euangelion, the gospel. I love it. You ought to love it. I think Paul gets excited there. Because you can't be excited about the gospel until you're broken by your sin. People tell me all the time, Josh, you preach the gospel every Sunday. Because I need the gospel every Sunday. You know why? Because I sin a lot. And when I sin, I condemn myself. And I can go one or two ways. I can say, I'm going to be lawless. And I want to do whatever I want to do and it don't even matter. I'm going to be a legalist and say, oh, Josh is going to do better. Or I can look to God and say, your son paid for that sin. That's the gospel. I go low. He brings me high in the gospel. So first, you've got to be broken. First, you've got to be lost before you can be found. First, you've got to be a sinner. First, you have to be damned. The law must crush. The law must bring you to, to misery. The law must get you to ask the question, have you any good news for us? And then you get to the good news. Then, and only then, Christ will be the delight. Then, Christ will be your relief. I love the Pilgrim's Progress and watching Christian go from, uh, on his journey through life. We watched the movie just a while back. And it brought a tear to my eye. Carrying that, and it got bigger and bigger. Carrying that, that backpack around on his journey. 
trying to find salvation. And the sin on his back just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And every time he met somebody or every time he opened the book, it, it, it got bigger and the sin got heavier. And, the, and it started to crush, crush him and, and bring him down. And he kept asking everybody who went, how can I get rid of this? How can I get rid of this? How can I get rid of this? Can anybody get rid of this? And finally he shows up and sees Jesus. And he turns around and he says, I feel locked. It's not there anymore. And he walks up the hill and he's running and the music's playing and there's relief and there's hope and there's salvation and there's forgiveness. And I started out the tears. I was trying to hide it from my kids. Dad ain't crying. Dad ain't crying. Somebody's cutting onions in the house. <laughs> no, Daddy, don't cry. But I know what that felt like. You should know what that felt like. I've been crushed by my sin. And now, Jesus has taken the weight away. And I feel the weight of the, the re- relief of being forgiven. Christ is my delight. Christ is my joy. Christ is my love. Christ is my everything. And you can only get there when sin has crushed you to the ground. You're not getting that in churches today. Tone it down, Josh. I can't tone it down. And Paul says that here. Look at the end of verse 11. He says, this is what's been committed to my trust. You see that? It's as if Jesus himself gave him the gospel and said, here, you hold on to this until I come back. This has been committed to my trust. Isn't that... What a marvelous thing he's given us in the gospel. Don't you mess this up. And that's why Paul spent his entire life making sure the church didn't mess it up. Paul says, like they said the other night in that sermon, Paul says, I'm a king's man. The king has given me a message to herald. And woe is me if I preach anything else. Timothy, don't let you don't don't let them get it wrong. Don't let them go into strange things. Like he said up in verse three, strange doctrines. Don't let them teach senseless things that make no sense and ramble. Look at verse four. That rambles on and on, fables and endless genealogies that just keep going and going and doesn't do anything but cause questions in the church. Don't do that, Timothy. Don't let them. Don't let them take the attention away from the gospel, Timothy. That doesn't save anybody, Timothy. That's not going to edify anybody, Timothy. And don't go to the silliness of vain jangling. That's going to swerve you to the side. You're you're moving away from the gospel, Timothy. Don't do that. That's been given to me, and I've given it to you and it's now been given to me it's in my trust now he says don't let them do that stuff Timothy don't let them think they're teachers of the law when they're adding to it or taking away from it Timothy and I'm going to preach it next week but I want to read it to you now verses 12 through 17 Paul says let me give you an example (laughs) of what I'm trying to say I shouldn't get ahead. I told the guys that this week. I said, when I get ahead, I end up trying to preach ahead. He says in verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious. 
He was crushed by that. If anybody was ever crushed by their sin, it was Paul. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm not righteous. I'm not perfect. I'm not self-righteous. I'm not better than anybody else. I am chief of all sinners. I'm the worst of the bunch. I think that's what the world needs to hear from the church. I'm the worst of the bunch. And God saved me. I'm going to quote Paul Washer again from the other night. He said, God takes the run of the litter. The worst of the bunch. Because he gets the most glory out of that. And Paul here at the end of his life, this is like 64 A.D. Paul's going to die like 67 A.D. Paul's at the end of his life and he's saying, I'm the worst of the bunch. Let's keep on reading. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. He's saying, I'm an example. If God can save me, he can save anybody. That's what he's saying. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You'll want to be here next Sunday night. If you didn't like this one, just wait. So now he, let me get back to this verse. This gospel that takes bad men and makes them good, that takes lawless men and saves them. He calls it the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which means two things about God, and I'll close. It means this gospel, blessed God, the only, only two times in the entire Bible does it, does it call God the blessed God. And it's not us blessing him. This is basically saying is the gospel of the happy God, which means God is, two, two things here, that God is happy to save sinners like us. You get that? He's happy to save sinners like us. The happy God. That, that God is happy. And I, I, don't, I don't want to go down the list, but I'm going to. That, that God is a, is a happy God. He's happy to, and, and maybe this is the, the best way to end the sermon, that God is happy to save lawless and disobedient. God is happy to save the ungodly and sinners. God is happy to save the unholy and the profane. Do I need to keep going? You better believe I do. God is happy to, to, to save the murderers of fathers and mothers. He's happy to save the manslayers. Let's keep going. He's happy Happy to slave to save the whoremongers, to save homosexuals. We need to say that. God saves homosexuals. God saves the whoremongers. God saves men stealers and liars and, and perjurers. God saves all those who are contrary to his doctrine and sinners and rebels and all alike. He's happy with a smile on his face to save sinners. That's good news. You know why? The one time I disagree with Paul, he says he's the chief, I say I am. And God saved me. And he was happy to save me. And in saving, that's good news. It wasn't a reluctant, I want to save Josh. Smile on his face, blessed God who saved me. And when he does that, I'll, I'll close with this. I didn't mean to preach this hard tonight. 
I told Brandon when we got here, I said, I am wore out. <laughs> I said, we'll do our best to get through it. But when you're preaching the gospel, you can't help it. And then he says, not just the blessed God, but according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And when God saves sinners like Paul and God saves sinners like me, God gets the most glory out of it. So get this, and I'm going to close. I'm going to skip that page. Let's go on. If we get the gospel right, like he's telling them to, it'll save some bad men, and it'll save some bad women. Men like Paul, men like me, men and women like you, men like these on this list. But if you get the gospel wrong, it ain't saving nobody. It ain't saving these people. And Paul's telling Timothy, you ain't going to see these people saved if you don't get the gospel right. So when we get the gospel right, men will get saved. The church will go forward. It'll keep going. It'll, it'll move on. There won't be no stopping it. If you get the gospel right, it'll be like a ship that just kept on sailing and it had, a, had, a, had wind in its sails and, and, you, and you saw it uh, sailing down the ocean. But if you get the gospel wrong, he says in verse 20 or verse 19, you'll make a shipwreck of your church. Hmm. Don't you want wind in your sails as a church? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get that right. Don't get off on the senseless and the silly and the strange and the, and the, 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 the stupid. Stick with the simplicity of the gospel and there'll be power behind what you do. Keep your focus there. Keep, keep your eyes on the ball. Keep your eyes on the, the gospel. Don't go either way. Preach the gospel. Tell people they're sinners and that there's a, a great Savior. So if you preach the gospel, get it right, men will be saved. And I mean bad men will be saved. Because there's no good men. The church will move forward and God will be happy with us. And God will be glorified by it. You get that? If we don't preach the gospel right, God isn't happy with us. There's no smile on His face to those churches who are, who are swerving one way or the other and they're in their lawlessness or they're in their legalism or they're, they're focused on social justice issues or a social gospel that, that gets them money or, or they're focused on politics on one side or the other. It's not, it's not making God happy. It's not glorifying Him. He's glorified by saving sinners and that only happens through the gospel. We love the gospel. So he says, stick to the gospel. Preach the gospel. Don't let what happened to them happen to us. It took four years, Acts chapter 20 to, to 1 Timothy, for them to start swerving one way or the other. It don't take long. There's a lifespan for seminaries. You, you get that? I'm preaching too long, but I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it. <laughs> seminaries do it all the time. You'll see a seminary that's straight down the line. Gospel preaching and getting sending out gospel preachers with, with right sound doctrine and, and godly men. And they're, they're focused. And, and before you know it, somebody gets in and just swerves them one way or the other. And it don't take much. Just a, a little rudder can turn them one way. A, a professor or, or somebody can go one way or the other. And that seminary is shipwrecked. Seminaries do it all the time. Churches do it all the time. What happened to that church? Oh, they swerved. Oh, they swerved. Get this, though. 
You can preach a lawless gospel and fill a church like that. You can. That don't mean it's straight down the line. It's swerved. Crowds don't mean nothing. I want to be found faithful in preaching the simplicity of the gospel and let God determine how many people show up in the church. So we stick to the gospel. We preach the, the gospel. We don't swerve one way or the other. Straight down the line. The law is good. The law shows us our guilt. And the law drives us to the gospel. And if we stick to that, we'll never make the most serious error in the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you'll use it to reform us and to correct us where we're wrong. I pray that you will help us. I know how easy it is to get sidetracked, to get distracted, to be pulled in a thousand different directions, to do a thousand different things. One of the preachers said this week that the most dangerous thing that ever happened to the church wasn't Nero, but it was the widows in Acts chapter 6 who tried to pull the attention of the preachers away from the study and the praying. So God, help me to stick to preaching and studying and praying and giving people the gospel. If we don't get the message right, the mission will fail. So help us to do that. And I thank you for people that will sit here and listen to me for an hour on a Sunday night. They're a blessing to me. And I pray that you'd bless them for it. I pray that you're happy with what we've done tonight. That we call you the blessed God. Happy God. And I pray that you got glory out of it. We love you and we thank you for your dear son. And we pray that he's gotten preeminence today. And God, as we come to your table tonight, may we remember the greatest event in human history. The day that your son died for my sins. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.